Welcome to another episode of The Man of Magic. I'm joined by Reed Duke, a gentleman who has won the Magic Online Championships at Worlds of 2011 and Grand Prix Nashville, and has made two other additional top eights in the meanwhile already in his young tour. Welcome to the show. Hey, Robert. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Magic Online, you made a comment on Twitter that you said you've played about a fourth of your life on Magic Online. <laughs> That was, uh, you know, a little hyperbole, like talking about the Magic Online PBQs. These days, I, you know, I'm qualified for the Pro Tour, so I, I only play them when I feel like it. But there was like a long period, you know, several years in there where I just played every single online PTQ, like rain or shine. I would clear my schedule for it no matter what was going on. Set my alarm for 2 a.m. if it was like, you know, one of those. PDQs that were meant for people, you know, in a different time zone, different country, I'd still get up for it. And, uh, yeah, there, there was a large portion of my life where I was spending every weekend day and a lot of the weekdays playing Magic Online PDQs. How difficult is it to do those online PTQs in comparison to a regular uh, Grand Prix tournament? Well, there's the element of being in your own home, which is good in some ways, but also a challenge in some ways. It's a challenge because, you know, let's say the tournament started at 10 p.m. You lose round one. You're tempted just to, like, shut your computer and go to sleep um, because who wants to who wants to grind out, like, eight more rounds when you're exhausted, when there's a million other things you could be doing uh, just for the – you know, the chance of winning out and making top eight or, like, are you going to grind it out and try to get top 16? All, all these factors, it's 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 uh, a challenge just to stick with the whole tournament when there's so many other distractions. But on the other hand, you get to be in the comfort of your own home. You get to eat and drink between rounds if you want. Um, so th- there are pros and cons compared to a live tournament. What was the challenge for you playing live tournaments in comparison to online? Well, I've always really enjoyed going to tournaments. It's like, yeah, just my idea of a good day, just being around Magic players and playing Magic, uh, you know, from sunrise to sunset. So it hasn't been too bad for me, but it's, it's really exhausting, especially when you go to, like, the three- and four-day events. Uh, the Star City Games Invitational comes to mind where it's like you got to do your traveling on Thursday and then you're up all day Friday playing, all day Saturday playing, all day Sunday playing, and the chances are you're not going to get a good sleep in between those. You're just burnt out by the end of the weekend. The challenges of the Invitational, you described a little bit about it. To the person who's never been able to make an Invitational, what is the advantages of making the Invitational and playing in it? Oh, it's Invitational is great. The most obvious reason is there's a whole lot of money at stake and the there's a smaller player pool and you don't have, uh, you know, there's certainly great players there, but you don't have all of the top players coming from all over the world like you do for a Pro Tour. So uh, level of competition is easier, smaller player pool, huge prize pool. Those are all good reasons to go. But also, I just find it's it's a really fun tournament. Split format tournaments are really fun for you know if if there's anybody out there who, who hasn't played one. 
Um, and there's a high number of rounds. It's been 16 lately. So that means you can get three or four losses and you're still in contention, which makes it a little bit less stressful um, and a little bit lower variance. So, uh, yeah, it's just really enjoyable tournament. And I'd recommend to anybody who has the opportunity to play one. Who has been the person when you first started competing on the highest level that you met that was kind of like, you know, work with me or work together with? You mean once I was getting, oh, I guess the answer would be Gerard Fabiano. It's like, you know, becoming friends with him was really my first glimpse into, like, you know, hanging out with the, with these pro players where who I knew their names when I was a little kid and getting a glimpse of, like, the pro tour scene. Gerard's awesome because he's got a limitless number of stories, you know, from from back in the day, and he's always eager to tell them and stuff. So, yeah, meeting him w- was really cool. Good, like, taste of the pro scene. Talked about the next event coming up, Legacy. We discussed off-air about you practicing with your brother. Yep, yep. And you made a comment to me that if your brother had time, he would be a better player than you. Well, my brother's a Pro Tour player, too. Uh, his first Pro Tour was years before my first Pro Tour, even though we'd been, you know, growing up playing playing Magic together. And he taught me, you know, like, much of what I know and stuff. And, yeah, he's just a really great player. These days he's got a full-time job, so he doesn't spend nearly as much time playing or traveling for tournaments as I do. But he will be going to Grand Prix Atlanta and I don't think you want to get paired against him at Grand Prix Atlanta. I don't want to get paired against him at Grand Prix Atlanta. <laughs> so what would happen at Grand Prix Atlanta if it's you and him in the finals? Do you think he would have an advantage? Do you think you'd have an advantage because you play more? Uh, it would be a struggle. I'd be scared to play against him. I mean, just playing earlier today, it was like we had a really complicated game. And I go, okay. He goes, he goes, he goes, thought sees. I go, okay, brainstorming response. And I draw my cards. I'm taking my time, thinking it through. I stack two on top, show him my hand. And he's like, all right, I'm going to take, uh, this card. Let's say it was like my force of will or something. Takes my force of will. I go, in my head, I'm like, perfect. That was exactly what I wanted him to take. Cause I draw my next card it was another force of will that I had hidden with my brainstorm. Like I had two and I kind of wanted to, to bait him into taking one. But he goes, during your upkeep, surgical extraction, your force of will. Because he had just known all along that, that that was how I'd stacked it with my brainstorm. And I'm just like, all right, this guy's got my number. Like he's one step ahead of me. How much fun is it to be able to play with someone at home that is as good or better than you? It's great. It's, uh, Compared to Magic Online, where there's obviously really good competition, but there's also a lot of players that are going to be weaker than you if you're just entering random tournaments. And even if you get paired against a good player, they might not be focused, or they might be trying out like a kind of a joke deck or experimental deck. So you're not getting 100% competition 100% of the time. But, you know, playing at home against my brother, I am. So that's that's great. You got to work with SCG Black on the Pro Tour. Yeah. 
working with John yep. and working with those guys. For you, what was that like? Uh, it was amazing. A lot of the a lot of that group um, there was overlap with the the people I worked with in Hawaii, but that was kind of my first time with a major team going out early and just doing nothing but prepping for the tournament for for a week ahead of time, and that was amazing in its own right. You know, no matter who it it would have been with, just to have that extra experience and dedication to preparing for the tournament, I really liked that. But then on top of that, it was like all these superstar players that I got to work with, you know, not the least of which is, is John. Um, and that was just, just like, uh, you know, to be like sappy is like a dream come true, you know, getting to work with all my heroes. What were you absorbing through all this? Yeah, they were pointing out things that could help me. Um, I was, I think the biggest help was limited. We had more than eight players, so when we had, when everybody wanted to play, when everybody wanted to draft and there weren't enough seats, sometimes, you know, we would choose randomly who would sit out, but that was okay because when I got to sit out, I would sit behind John or I would uh, sit behind Rich Hohen and watch them draft and, like, take mental notes and ask them about the tough picks later on. And that was, you know, even, even better practice than drafting myself. And then I'd every, I'd, uh, show people my deck and ask advice. Whenever somebody had a really successful draft, like they three owed, I would ask them about their deck. I would ask them about their draft and try to figure out like what went right, what went wrong. Um, so the limited preparation was, was the best, but just everything, about working with those guys was uh, a great learning experience. Pro Tour Seattle. Yeah. Are you guys going to work together again to make this happen? Well, we don't have any any firm plans yet, um, but I would definitely be interested if if other people are. It's who knows if it would be the exact same lineup, or if we would branch off or combine teams with another group. Um, We'll just have to wait and see. Is there one thing since you've been playing Magic that you have learned about other people or the game itself that has helped you in real life? Uh, that's a that's a tough question. Yeah, I mean it's it's a hard question to answer because I've been playing Magic since I was five, and it you know like totally defines who I am at this point, but. There, there are definitely a lot of things, a lot of ways of thinking that I get from magic that are really helpful um, for real life. But partly it's just being really competitive, being really organized, uh, being really hardworking. Those are all skills that I've, you know, improved through being a tournament magic player that apply to kind of anything I try to do in real life. So let's go into you winning Nashville. Sure. My favorite topic. <laughs> you had a pretty stacked top eight there. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you 2-0 Jensen, you 2-0 Kyle Babin, and you 2-0 Todd Anderson. To sweep through that field... When you played that last round and you had walked in there, 
knowing that you had just gone sweep, sweep, into the finals, what were you thinking? Well, I was really happy to be there, and it's a little bit of a challenge because obviously I'd never won a Grand Prix before that. I'd never made the finals of a Grand Prix. And so a kind of a danger for people who are making their their first top eight. You know, it, it's definitely a fact that it's very rare for people to win their first top eight, whether it be a PDQ or a Grand Prix or a Pro Tour. And part of that's experience mattering a lot, part of that's skill. But part of it is mentality. And the first time you get to the finals there, it's like, wow, even if I lose here, it's still going to be a great tournament. You know, second place in a Grand Prix, I'm the man, that's awesome. So I had that going through my head. But at the same time, I knew, like, how many opportunities am I going to get to be here? I don't want to, I don't want to let it go to waste. Um, so I was really excited to be there, but I also felt a lot of pressure. I really wanted to win. Um, you know, everything had been going my way up to that point. I had a lot of friends cheering me on, and I just didn't want to disappoint them. I didn't want to disappoint myself, so I felt a lot of pressure. You you won a title that's limited, and you talked about limited not being one of your best skill sets. Now, Cadenas yeah. has had two limited titles in GPs, and he claims limited is not his best format. Hmm. Why is it that people like the two of you that say loot is not your best format, but yet you put up the results that say otherwise? Yeah, well, um, good question. Uh, I've gone back and forth between feeling more confident in limited, feeling more confident in constructed. Certainly when I was just getting started playing competitively, I was much better at limited because uh, that was just what I played all the time on Magic Online. And the first, uh, actually the first couple of ways I qualified for the Pro Tour were by winning big limited tournaments. Once I got to the Pro Tour, I made the mistake of thinking that uh, preparation time was better spent in constructed. So I would just practice, 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 searching for the best constructed deck, and I would kind of ignore limited. And that, and then the pendulum swung back the opposite direction, and I was doing pretty good in constructed but I was going 1-2, and 0-3 oh in my drafts. And now I think I've better found the balance, and Nashville was kind of like the, uh, you know, the signal for that, where it was like I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I'm choosing good decks and constructed, I'm putting the time in, but I'm also not neglecting my limited game. And so that was a really good confidence boost. And now I feel uh, pretty confident in both formats, I'd say. There is a lot of challenges being a part of Star City Games. You get a lot of notoriety. People know yeah. who you are now. Is there anything that has become of this that has seemed almost like too much? Not too much. I, I would say I enjoy it. Uh, I really appreciate my fans. Everybody's really nice to me, and you know, it, it means a lot having people reading my articles and listening to what I say and everything like that. So. Uh, I would say, as a whole, it's just definitely positive, great experience. But there are some things about it that um, can be a lot at certain times. From a strategic standpoint, everybody, or usually people know who I am ahead of time, 
usually they know what deck I'm playing, what list of what deck I'm playing, and uh, you know, there's there's a lot less secrecy involved compared to just you know being like a a, a good but unknown tournament player. There's that, and then from the uh, fame perspective, there seems to be a trend that. Uh, sometimes I get people come up to me and say like, oh, Reed, I'm a big fan. Like, would you sign my play mat or whatever? And that's great. But the only time it ever happens is when right after I've bombed out of a tournament, it's like I lose my winning in for day two of a Grand Prix and I'm just like totally distraught, like feeling horrible. And then suddenly I get like, you know, somebody come up to me like, oh, I'm your biggest fan. Like sign my play mat. And it's like, okay, it makes me feel better on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, not good timing because I just want to not talk to people and I want to like brood alone, <laughs> but that's the way it always turns out. So it, I don't know. Sometimes it forces me to, uh, you know, keep things in perspective and not get so down on myself when I lose because I got to still, you know, talk to people and be a human being. <laughs> How much fun is that for you to get FaceTime on camera? It's really fun. Um, yeah, personally, I've got like pretty big ego, so it's nice uh, seeing myself in the coverage and stuff. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I put so much time and effort into the game and like perfecting all these little details about my deck that it's nice to have some opportunity to, to share all that hard work and stuff. Because other times it's like, you know, I put a hundred or you know, that's a made-up number, but however many hours into, into perfecting my deck, and if I just go, you know, 6-3 and three at a Grand Prix, or even if I get, like, top top 32 at a Grand Prix, it's like, that's it. You know, the deck just goes into the, uh, you know, wizards.com archive, and I move on, and nobody ever gets to know about all the little details that I put so much time into. But when I get the opportunity to write or I get the opportunity to be interviewed, uh, I get to tell about those things, and there's a certain satisfaction to that. You brought up working on decks. If you had to play one deck, or I, I, there was a, there's been a thing going around about Rich Hagen has talked about how if he would have one person to play a game for his life it would be Paul Rietzel. <laughs> Good choice. One deck you had to play for your life. What deck would it be and why? If I had to play a game of Magic for my life, what deck would I choose? I'd probably choose Natural Order and Legacy. Um, it's just my favorite deck of all time, probably one of the decks I've had the most success with also, and in my opinion, it's just the perfect deck. It's high-powered. It's got a proactive game plan. It can present a variety of threats that are difficult to answer, and on top of that, it's got ways to stop the opponent from answering those threats. So, for example, if I know I'm going to be using Progenitus to win the game, I direct all my Vendillion clicks, all my Force of Wills, all my Dazes towards stripping away their answers to that one particular threat, Progenitus, um, as opposed to a deck where I'm just kind of presenting threats and hoping that at a certain point they, they miss a beat and don't have the right answer. Those decks can be really good too, but this natural order, I just always felt like I had so much control over what was going on in the game 
and I always felt like I had an out to whatever my opponent was doing. Now you do articles, you do videos. I do. What else would you like to do for Star City Games? Uh, good question. Well, I've been asked to do commentary for uh, the Star City Opens, which I think would be really fun. Um, I kind of wasn't able to give a definite answer uh, because at this point I'm also really loving playing in those events. So if I had a free weekend, was able to travel to one, it's like a really tough call whether I'd want to play in it or whether I'd want to commentate. But that's something I'd certainly like to do at some point in the future, um, doing the commentary. Do you think there's an advantage for you because being in the booth allows you to see the game from a different angle. It actually gets you to see it from where the fan sees it. But you get to actually play what would I do in their situation. Yeah. Um, How much fun is that for you? That's really fun. It's also really challenging. Um, if we go back to the the kind of Magic Online instructional videos that I make sometimes... I find it really, really difficult to play my best while I'm also trying to narrate all my decisions because it's just splitting your focus. One of the most important things in Magic is just to be 100% present in the game. When I play like Magic Online PDQs, absolutely can't have anyone else in the room with me. Absolutely can't have music playing or anything like that. It's just... You know, the same thing happens when I play live. If somebody came up to me and they were like, Reed, like, do you want me to get you something from Dunkin' Donuts? I'd be like, shut up, I'm trying to play, you know? Uh, just, I don't want any distractions from the game. But trying to comment on the game or, like, explain why people are doing certain moves, that takes away a little bit from, uh, you know, your focus. And at the same time, being uh, a spectator you get to see every decision, but you're not the one making those decisions. So at a certain point, you might say like, oh, I would have played turn three different differently from the person I'm watching. And then two turns later, you're like, oh, I would have played turn five different for, differently from the person I'm, I'm watching. But those two independent, you know, criticisms could stem from the same from the same original thing, which is just that both of you have a different game plan for this game or a different opinion on the way the game is, is on where the game is heading, the way it's playing out. So uh, a lot of the time it's just completely different being in the spectator's shoes and you can't, you can't always um, basically comment on, on one single snapshot of the game, like one decision because it's just a matter of being in a pilot seat. Let's say you don't make a day two at a GP. Who are you watching? My friends sometimes, the top players sometimes, the people with interesting decks sometimes. Um, it also depends what's coming up for me. Like, say it was a standard GP, and I had another important standard tournament the following week, then my priority might be to look at the decks that are winning, and try to focus more on the metagame. Whereas if I didn't have a standard event coming up, then I might use that opportunity to just learn, you know, general Magic the Gathering skills, like watch a player like John Finkel, and just try to pick up, you know, 
general gameplay tips from from watching him. Um, but it depends. Just varies from from one day to the next. You talked about crowds earlier. Grand Prix Vancouver, they didn't have the main areas blocked off like they normally do. Oh, okay. And, and people were, like, right on top of them. Does that bother you? It bothers me, but I've accepted it and learned to get used to it at this point. Uh, I know there are going to be crowds. Um, I had, uh, you know, a judge that I really liked from... from uh, my area back when I was PDQing, Judge Eric was his name, and he always used to say, you're allowed to ask a spectator not to watch your match, but you should have a good reason to do so because magic is, is really a spectator sport, and people are there to watch. They like to watch. You should enjoy being watched, and I agree with all those things. Does being on camera bother you? No, not really. Uh, sometimes a little bit. I'm a little bit nervous, um, I'll give you an example. When I was playing the Star City Games Legacy in Worcester a few weeks back, um, I made a big mistake. I was playing Reanimator, and I had a Grizzlebrand in my graveyard, and I was just kind of, you know, like maybe I was flooded or something, but I didn't have a reanimation spell, and I was just waiting to draw it, drawing my card, passing the turn, drawing my card, passing the turn, getting a little frustrated. And finally, I drew Exhume, and I was like, yes, like, finally I can Exhume, I have Force of Will back up, I'm about to win the game, and I tapped two mana, and I cast the Exhume. What I had forgotten was that a few turns prior to that, my Sneak and Show opponent had intuitioned for three Grizzlebrands, so he also had a Grizzlebrand in his graveyard. So now I've cast Exhume, we both have Grizzlebrands in our graveyard that we're able to return, but I also had some of my other reanimation targets in my graveyard, like a Blazing Archon and maybe like an Iona or like an Elish Norn or something like that. Um, and so I was really embarrassed that I've made that play on camera, that I was basically going to play a spell that was going to have either no effect on the game or possibly a negative effect for me. So in my head, I was like, ooh, maybe I should just return the Blazing Archon so that Nobody laughs at me, so they don't think it's a mistake. But uh, in reality, I thought it would be a negative situation if I put the, the Blazing Archon into play and he put the Grizzlebrand into play. And I just like thought about it for a while, and I was like, all right, I've made a mistake. It's going to be really embarrassing, but I can't compound the mistake. And I just returned my Grizzlebrand. He returned his Grizzlebrand, and they legend ruled. And it was like I played a spell that had no effect, and that's really embarrassing. But it, you know, it it could be worse. What are your goals still left in Magic? Oh, you say still left as though uh, I've accomplished a lot of them, but you know, I, I feel like I feel like things are just beginning here. <laughs> Reason why I'm asking is because usually there's a bigger prize out there for people, even when they're successful. They always have their eye on something else. Yep. What are you going to That's for? certainly true. Well, th thank you for the compliments. I feel really proud of what I've done so far, but uh, I've got a lot of ambition, too, and definitely my priority is to do well on the Pro Tour stage. Um, everything else is secondary to that for me. Like, I, I really want to be... I don't really care about being good at a local level. I want to be good among the best players in the game. 
So that, that's my goal. You know, high Pro Tour finishes, Pro Tour wins, Pro Tour top eights. That, that's my goal. Let's say Pro Tour Seattle works out well, and you top eight Pro Tour Seattle. All right. I like this already. <laughs> You've already got now all those things I've mentioned, and now you're starting to move into that next level of player. How much more pressure do you think is going to be on you? Yeah. Well, that's already pressure that I put on myself personally. Um, the pressure from the community would be something new. Um, like at this point, I can I can fail to make day two of a Grand Prix, and I'm really disappointed in myself when that happens. But I don't really feel like there's a lot of you know negative energy surrounding me. It's not like people are like looking at the stats and laughing at me. I mean, maybe they are. I don't know, but uh, I don't really feel that way right now, and maybe if I was ranked one of those top players in the game, I would feel a little bit more like everybody was scrutinizing how well I was doing, and uh, everything like that. Like, uh, I heard Jerry T say once that perception is just, you know, people think you're as good as however well you've done in the last couple tournaments you've played, and I think to a certain extent that's true. It's like if you could have a truly great player, and if they just, if the fans watch them brick a couple tournaments in a row, it's like they forget about them. Who cares about this guy? Let's watch the guy who's who won two tournaments in a row. Um, so that would be a little bit of like negative perception, you know, people watching me. But again, the bottom line is that I already put a lot of pressure on myself to do well, and that takes priority for me um, over what other people think. Now that you've had the ability to enjoy both sides of the gamut, you've had success, you've had disappointment, do you tilt? Yeah, <laughs> I do. I'd like to say I don't, but that would be uh, untrue. I definitely get really upset. Usually it's at the end of the day. I, I, I like to think I can hold it together when I'm like X and 1, X and 2 at a tournament. But once I get that third loss at a Grand Prix, I start to feel really down on myself. Um, same thing goes with the Pro Tour. My most recent memory is in Barcelona. I was four and one after the first constructed portion, so four and one going into the draft, and that was that's like a great place to be. You can't really ask for better than that. And I had practiced a lot in draft. I had a pretty good win rate even among the people I was testing with, which was really tough competition. And uh, I was, like, just had really high hopes. I was, like, maybe I can top eight this tournament or maybe I can top 16 and, like, uh, you know, get enough points to be platinum this year. And then I won two the first draft, and it was, like, pretty devastating. I even started 0-2 in the first draft. And, yeah, I was definitely pretty pretty upset there. And it took me a while to recover and, and you know, play my best for day two. When you got approached by Star City, what was that like? Oh, um, it was a little bit less of a glamorous situation than you might expect. I got approached by Star City to write articles. Um, basically, when I qualified for my first Pro Tour, what it was was I, I won the Magic Online Championship, you know, the qualifier tournament, mm -hmm. for the first one that I played in 2010. And it was basically the first thing I'd ever won. And I had a friend at the time, Ben Hayes, who was a writer for Star City Games, 
and he basically put in a good word for me. He was like, hey, guys, I think this guy, this kid Reed Duke is really good, and he'd be a good writer and stuff. So, like, you know, I'm indebted to Ben for doing that for me. Um, but I got approached as just, like, this, you know, like, one-time featured, like, hey, look at this guy type of writer. And my original contract was, like, write one article for, like, uh, you know, and, and just if we like it, maybe we'll let you do two more articles or something like that. So it was really not a big deal at the time. Uh, I wrote a couple articles, and I guess the editors liked them, and I got some okay results in the comments. And then, uh, you know, at the same time, I had some more good tournament finishes. So they kept me on, and since then it's just been a, a slow and steady, you know, climb. And the, the first time I got to write for the premium side was was pretty exciting for me. But how much of a difference was that for you when you moved from the free side to the premium side? It was big. It was just, uh, you know, not for any particular reason. You know, it's not like I, I want people to have to pay for my content or anything like that, but it's just kind of like a status thing. It's like there are only a handful of people that are on the premium side, and I'm one of them, so it makes me feel just really good, you know, to be to be singled out in that way. What other things can you give to people that are trying to do what you're doing as far as making it from Moto to a successful career in paper magic? Um, I hate to say this about myself, but I can give people uh, less than you might you might expect. So much of improving at magic is a personal thing. Um, reading articles and watching other people play and playing yourself and looking at tournament results, those things all have to combine. Reading five hours of articles a day and never playing yourself won't get you very far. Just like playing five hours a day yourself and not getting any content or talking to people or analyzing your own plays, that won't get you very far either. It's like, it, it, it's all, there's no substitute for hard work is what I'm trying to say. And reading my articles will help. And even listening to interviews like this maybe can give you a better idea of what it takes. But uh, a lot of it's hard work also. And there's no substitute. Thank you for listening to The Meta Magic. You can contact me at themetamagic at gmail.com, on Twitter under The Meta Magic, or my personal account, The Beamy. This is Robert Martin, and again, thank you for listening.